0: Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees! You hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees! You hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Welcome to solid ground and another week of talking about evangelism. That was Jesus talking. That wasn't some angry blogger talking. That wasn't some sort of talking head on cable news. This is God incarnate talking to the religious leaders of his day. In this section, puts the spotlight, what we just read, puts the spotlight on what happens to other people as the result of the activity of the scribes and Pharisees. Then they had this complex legal system that led them down this road so they would devote their whole lives to something that had nothing to do with the real purpose of why God gave the law in the first place, but it also Uh, made it impossible all these all these things that the scribes and pharisees did it made it impossible for serious seekers of the truth to go after god and to find their way and i love thinking about like that that part where jesus said they go to like extreme measures traveling over land and sea to find a non-jewish person who actually expressed interest in their way of life and only to burden that person with a a load that was so heavy that they were actually worse off than they would have been if they'd never heard of Judaism in the first place. So the main reason he's taking the trouble to denounce the scribes and Pharisees here in this passage we just read, it's because they were distracting attention away from what God was doing at the crucial moment in history Jesus was a you know he came to earth, this is the crescendo of everything Israel's history had been leading up to. And I want to point out, you know in this passage, uh, I've, I've read that a lot like historically that a lot of people have misused this chapter to talk about anti-Semitic ideas or blame things on the Jews. To be clear here, Jew uh, the Jesus is denouncing, The scribes and Pharisees, not all Jewish people. And the scribes and Pharisees represented just this little tiny percentage of the entire population. So uh, people have used this in the wrong way in the past, and that misses the point completely. The point is the, the failings of the scribes and Pharisees. And their failings are extra evidence that they are not, in fact, the true guides of Israel. Jesus goes on to point out that that they're blind. like They're blind guides is what he called them. And Jesus used, used these warnings, the seven woes is the traditional name of this passage. Jesus uses them to point out that Israel and the world needed a savior. So let's take a minute to sit on that image of going a great distance of spending a lot of resources and investing time in someone to make a convert, but then realize that it's possible to make them into something that's twice as fit for hell—that's strong, strong language. So, and we're doing all of this in the under the umbrella of talking about evangelism here, and and I, I put this out here because Jesus is saying something very negative about their efforts to convert people, the way the scribes and Pharisees were going about it. Jesus had very strong language to describe their heart. And I, as I've been reflecting on this passage, I think about the negative perception there is around evangelism, especially in my generation. There's a negative perception among many like, Christians because it's uncomfortable. There's a negative perception around Evangelism, the word, uh, because of it, sometimes it has political connotations or uh, the way evangelical Christians are portrayed. Uh, they, they're portrayed as, as narrow minded, they're portrayed as, as, uh, as, as, as mean, but really, like, uh, even in the broader culture. So many people will say, oh, no, 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 don't try to convert me. Don't share your story with me because I have my own truth and you have your truth, as if there could be multiple truths. But I think this negative perception comes from the same impulse Jesus was addressing with the scribes and Pharisees. Anytime we add extra to what God has given us, it winds up going in in wonky directions. This this negative perception was built from the scribes and Pharisees wanting to earn God's love. Uh, That negative perception came from their impulse to put themselves above the regular people. That has no place in God's kingdom. That has no place. Jesus said, yeah, if you want to be the greatest, good for you. If you want to be great, serve the most. (laughs) Lower yourself. Uh, lower yourself. He was addressing the scribes and the Pharisees and, and saying, hey, you're supposed to be the leaders and you're not doing this God's way at all. So there's a negative connotation of evangelism in our culture. There's a negative connotation of evangelism, even within some Christian circles. But we can't escape the fact that Jesus ends all four Gospels with a call for his disciples to preach the gospel. That includes you and me. <laughs> so Jesus definitely warns people doing it from the wrong impulse, but there's still a very clear command to go into all every corner of the earth and preach his Gospel. And those first disciples, they heard Jesus' command to go preach the Gospel, and they did it. They obeyed. They went, I mean, history tells us that the apostle Thomas, the disciple Thomas, doubting Thomas, went all the way to the southern tip of India and died a martyr's death for his faith. They obeyed Jesus. They preached the gospel. They evangelized the world, told people the good news. And God used those men and women to start a movement that changed the world. So I've been asking myself around this question of evangelism. What are we inviting people into? We need to be clear on that. Are we inviting people into a scribes and Pharisees type of a world where there's all these extra things, or are we inviting people into what Jesus talked about—the the spirit of the law—and not doing away with 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 anything that came before, but building upon that? Like, what did Jesus actually tell us to do? What kind of life was Jesus? What kind of life was he was he setting the example for and how do we make sure that we're not putting extra burdens on people? And my gut tells me that if you're asking some of those same questions, you're not the kind of person that needs to like spend a lot of time worrying about being a scribe or a Pharisee. You're not the kind of person that needs to worry about messing up the evangelistic process you're never going to be that guy. You're never going to be that lady. No, my gut tells me that you might be the kind of person that needs a nudge towards boldness. Not in this brash way, but just an unapologetic way of, of, of saying like, hey, this is what God has done in my life. So as we continue to talk about sharing our faith, I want to take you a little bit further back in history so we can be clear on what we're inviting people into. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, starting in verse 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt." So in this, in this passage, God inspired the prophet Jeremiah to tell these people who were far away from their home, like something new is coming. As Isaiah was praying and meditated, the Holy Spirit started giving him these images that something new is coming. Israel's history is leading up to something God is going to do that's new. So then flash forward, and trust me, I'm going somewhere with this, flash forward to the night that Jesus was betrayed. Just about to 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 die the next day at the hands of Roman executioners, Jesus broke this bread at, at the Passover meal, and he let his disciples know that it represented his body, and that it would be broken for them. And then, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you." And he took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What is all this about, Mike? You just took us from Jeremiah all the way to the Passover. I know Easter's coming. Okay, let's all take a deep breath. <sighs> you know, what I'm trying to show is that Jesus pointed out to his disciples that Jeremiah's prophecy was being fulfilled like right under their noses. Jesus was trying to communicate, I am the new thing God is up to. And when we invite people to follow Jesus, we're inviting them into this new covenant that Jesus initiated. And a covenant is, is, is ancient language, it's more than a contract. I mean, this is a binding agreement when I say the word new covenant that Jesus initiated, that means this new agreement between God and humans, God and anyone that makes Jesus the Lord of their life. So as we talk about how to, how to evangelize, it's not like sealing the deal. Uh, evangelism or making a convert isn't, isn't merely persuasion. As we talk about this, we need to know why it's important, and and what we're asking people to do. We must remember what kind of life we're inviting people into. And it's not the Pharisee and teachers of the law and scribe kind of life from the first century. It's not the legalism that so many of us grew up with. I've heard a story of someone who grew up in a faith community that was very, very rigid in the way they practiced Sabbath, no work on Sunday, which is an awesome thing. But this faith community had taken it to such an extreme that they remembered their dad washing the car in the garage on Sundays so no one would see and think he was this horrible sinner. I know of uh, other families that would drive at least 50 miles out of town on a Sunday to watch movies because we don't watch movies on Sunday. You know, This life that Jesus is inviting in, us into isn't, isn't one where we have to wash our cars in the garage to avoid what people think about us or, or driving 50 miles. Like There's so much more freedom in the life that Jesus is inviting us into. Uh, Jesus is inviting us into a life where we can be real and be messy. Maybe you've had this experience of being in the car on the way to church, and your family's fighting like cats and dogs, brothers and siblings going at it. Maybe moms and dads saying, I'll turn this car around. And you get to church and open the door and go, Oh, hello, brother. Hello, sister. Oh, if I were any better, I'd be twins. Like, Jesus doesn't want us to have to put on airs either. No. Jesus is concerned with our heart. I love the words of Jesus. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. So I wanted to share with you where I'm hanging my hat with Jesus these past couple of years, because you know Jeremiah is saying like, predicting Jesus is coming and that there would be this new covenant that builds on the old covenant that, that's so much more concerned with the heart. And I feel like this verse holds so much significance for us when it comes to our posture in evangelism. It's the words of Jesus, John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I love how Jesus simplifies things for us. Like, that... Command, if you do that, if you love one another as Jesus has loved you, as Jesus has loved me, you follow and fulfill all the stuff that came before Jesus. I loved simplifying things when I was a youth pastor because I'd been to some youth ministries that would start off every youth meeting with, here's our 10 rules, here's our 20 rules. And I couldn't remember them. Um, So when I became a youth pastor, I would tell my kids, all right, we got one rule around here respect. And I'd all make them say, respect. And I go, okay, respect. And that's the that's the word that you filter everything through. If you have a question about, if you're new here and you have a question about how do I behave? Is this okay? Is that okay? Well, ask, is it respectful? Am I respecting other people? Am I respecting God? Am I respecting the building? And I found that having a really simple filter that that was applicable. It cut down on behavior problems. We stopped putting holes in walls. There were less fights, you know, less messing around during the, during the service, all that kind of stuff. And I feel like that follows Jesus' impulse to say, hey, okay, by the way, we've got the Old Testament. That's great. We've got all these things. A new command I give you. What I want you to do is to love one another like you've seen me loving you. So Jesus doesn't do away with the first covenant, he fulfills it and then he builds upon it and makes things so much simpler for us. And I love the last part of that verse. It has this idea that if we're loving people like Jesus loved us, people are gonna notice. We won't have to spend a ton of time worrying, should I talk to this person? Am I evangelizing enough? If we're loving like Jesus, People are going to approach us. Jesus says it in Matthew 5, you know, we're to be the salt and light of the earth, the God flavors and the God colors of this earth. People are going to be lining up going, why do you live the way you do? Tell me. And there's lots of ways to love people as Jesus loves you, you know, as Jesus has loved us. Most of us think of, oh, I need to start doing nicer things for people think about this, like love people the way that God gifted you. Maybe you are wired to do nice things for people and acts of service, but maybe you're an encourager. Maybe you're the kind of person that can come alongside of somebody and say, Hey, you're not alone. You're going to make it. I see good things in you. And then you call out those good things. Maybe, maybe you love people by studying a topic, studying the, the Bible, and, and you're able to teach it. And, and when you teach it, it, it's good news to people. Uh, maybe, maybe you have the gift of forgiveness. I would love to be really gifted at that, to forgive people like Jesus forgave us. But whatever it is, like we can't get there by just trying to do it and like, trying harder. It's right there in that verse we just read, in in John, love people as I have loved you. When we continually marinate on how much God has loved us, when we fill our minds with the things that God says about us, and those become deeply entrenched, then then our hearts are changed to people. And it, and it, it, it comes out of the overflow of what God is doing in our life, not some sort of scraping of the bottom of the barrel. And we need... To love people out of the overflow of what God's doing in our life. Because I don't have to tell you that loving people isn't easy. It's messy. It's frustrating. It's hard. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. It's when we say, Lord, this person in traffic or my neighbor or this person in my office, whatever it is, God, I need your help to love this person. Because you've done so much for me. How dare I not surrender this grudge I have? How dare I I hold on to this negative uh, attitude about that person? The words of Jesus, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So I've got a couple of challenges for you and the first one is, is for reflection. And this is just for you. You don't have to put it in the comments down below. You don't have to. This is just between you and the Lord. Vertical. Going up. Ask yourself, how well are you loving others? Does that love reflect the kind of love that Jesus expressed for you? And then, maybe, maybe in those moments of prayer, like you'll think, oh, God will just drop it in your heart. Here's something nice I could do for someone to serve them. Uh, but maybe, as you're thinking, how well am I loving others? Maybe you'll realize, I'm holding a grudge. I need to forgive someone. Or maybe, for you, loving others meaning, means apologizing to someone and saying, I hurt you. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? Because loving others, like it, it's so intricately connected. We love God, and, we're, and we are to love others. Like, that's how Jesus lived. That was his example. It's vertical and it's horizontal. And then I've got one practical baby step challenge for you this week. As we've been praying about people in our lives, praying about someone we could share Jesus with, I don't want you to be scared of being that guy or that girl, that overly zealous person where people go, oh, they're that Christian person. No, just... Get out of the comfort zone, and I want you to invite that person to Easter service with us, whether it's here online or whether it's in person. We've been praying for them. We've been encouraging them. A simple invite, and just see what God does with that. So uh, with that being said, I want to pray for us right now, and, uh, and let's just spend, let's spend a moment thinking about God's, God's work for us and how much Jesus loved us. So, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for leaving the comfort and safety of heaven and coming and making a way for us to have a relationship with you. God, will you please open up our minds and open up our hearts to all the ways that you are present for us. And as we spend time with you, God, will you please rearrange our hearts, fill us with your spirit, make us bold, and and please give us, eyes to see those opportunities to where we can share your love with other people in this world and god for everyone here uh, who's going to take this seriously and and reflect on on their love for others we pray that you will supernaturally empower them to be your hands and feet your listening ears your encouraging words to the people around them so we pray we pray this in your mighty and holy name amen God bless you, and until we're together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen.